This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Seth Lieberman. He's the founder and CEO of Snap App. As a repeat entrepreneur, Seth was previously the founder and CEO of Pangea Media, acquired by AdKnowledge, and co-founder and CEO of Focalex, acquired by uh, Intermix slash MySpace. He started out as a banker at Credit Suisse First Boston. Seth, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. I, I I love my own bio. It's like hearing your own voice in a movie. It's like never sounds interesting. Am right? I hired? Was that good? It was good. It was good. You should uh, consider a broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> um, so you go so. from you go from banker to social networks to Snap App. How how do you decide what to work on? Uh, well, I'll tell you the story arc, and then I'll tell you what I've learned uh, through. Uh, I've got a couple years on you. I wouldn't call myself old yet, but. Uh, you know, the history there is I was always the worst banker at the table, right? So I was doing technology banking and I was always on the wrong side of the table. I sort of was thought it M&A I was stuff, charge. like IB stuff? Yeah, investment banking, technology, right? I was just, I always thought I was in charge and I was always not the guy in charge. I was the guy who was supposed to be getting coffee and shit, right? So um, I learned a ton. It was an awesome experience, but I, I knew I had to leave and start my own company, which I did in the late 90s. And over the course of almost 20 years uh, starting companies, what I realized about myself, I became more self-aware and I realized... I like to build stuff, right? And so I think that, you know, the advice, sometimes our interns, they say, what should I do with my life? And I say, fuck if I know. But, you know, what I found works is figure out what you're passionate about, figure out what you can get really into. And then it doesn't matter where you're doing it, you're going to get value out of it. So I figured out I like to build stuff. I have four kids. I woodwork. I garden. I started three companies. I got it. I like to create. So I got to put myself in situations where I get a chance to do that. That makes good sense. So Take us forward to Snapchat or Snap App, and then we'll go back to your story. So, what does Snap App do, and what's your business model? How do you make money? Yeah, perfect. So we're uh, we're software to help marketers build interactive experiences. Two very simple premises about this company. Number one, the user, prospect, customer experience is everything. Right? You walk into an Apple store, you might have bought a new iPhone six months ago. You feel like you need to buy a new one, right? But retail, as we know, happens digitally, and, and we're a B two B company. So how do marketers create these compelling, highly value-added experiences for people online, right? And so we're the software to allow marketers to build these kinds of interactive give-and-take experiences when you can't get a sales rep on the phone, when you can't get people to pay attention, right? So for example, ROI calculators, interactive white papers, assessments, interactive video, all this stuff that adds more value to the user with a give-and-take of back-and-forth so that at the end of the experience, Nathan knows, hey, this is my problem. This is what I should be doing. You know, this is, you know, this is a, a good thing to do. The marketer gets all that insight. This is now I know not just did you click or open. Nathan told me this was his problem. This is how he solves it now. This is what it would look like if he could solve it better tomorrow. And you're capturing email like, leads through these apps. Yeah, yeah. So we're part of the website. We embed right in the CMS or landing pages. Huge partnerships with the marketing automation guys, Marketo and Eloqua and 
and uh, Salesforce and those folks. And that's typically as well as the video guys. So we're a SaaS company, you know, classic SaaS model. Um, uh, and we're software, so you don't have to use developer time or agency time to to build these kinds of things. You can build them yourself in 30 minutes. And that makes, I bet you have a, a large cohort of your user base are marketing agencies that mark up your services and sell them back through to clients, right? Well, increasingly, so we've just kicked that off about six to nine months ago. And what we found in our pitch was, and we had to tweak it a little bit, but the pitch was exactly this, which is you can't have a business selling code anymore to companies. Nobody wants to pay for custom code, right? You go to your agency and you say, I want an ROI calculator. And like, awesome, three months and $35,000. And people are like, forget it, right? So now increasingly they use us to build those and they charge their money for where they add real value, creative, design, strategy, execution, measurement. So they're actually adding ancillary revenue streams um, because they're able to use our product to sell more and more new creative ideas. You're hoping their margins go up though too, because they don't have to put dev hours on that project. Huge margin. Yeah, right. yeah. What's the? Yeah. I, I want to avoid a conversation with you, like going into every cohort of your customers, because I'm sure you span the gamut. But on, just give it a sense. On average, what's an average customer pay you per month? Yeah, so we only sell annually. We sell annual SaaS okay. subscriptions. Learned early on, as I'm sure you know, uh, the best model is annual paid in advance or two years in advance. No cash, no cash gap problem. Exactly, exactly. So um, our average customer these days starts about thirty grand a year. Right, our enterprises can be in the six figures. Uh, we don't have any seven-figure customers yet, um, but uh, that's typically where they are. We got we're closing in on about three hundred customers, give or take. Three hundred. Uh, yep, yep. So we're still under ten million, but we're on our way. Yep. Do you think you'll break that this year? Uh, not this year, no. Okay, maybe 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 mid next year or Q three Q four next year. Yeah, we'll see. We're. Um, I hate to I hate to speculate the months as a Boston sports fan. I, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very cautious about making predictions these days. But yeah, I think we're gonna we're growing very quickly. We're finding enormous traction in what I would call the large SMB mid market and up. What so is, we really, what is growing? Seth, can you quantify that real quick before you continue? Growing quickly, like December 2016. What were you at relative to where you are now? Uh, we're growing north of 100 percent year over year. And in terms right. of revenue or customer count? Revenue. Okay. Revenue. Uh, what we found actually, it's interesting. So we're doing, we're doing something that's kind of hard, which is kind of what I like about it, but we're inventing a new category, much like the marketing automation guys did 10 years ago. Um, again, it wasn't new. We all had email. They didn't invent email, but what they helped build is a platform to make it easier for marketers to build and coordinate and run campaigns. And then it became something big, right? Same with video. Um, same with what David Cancel, if you know, David over drift is trying to do with chats and bots and that kind of stuff. And we're trying to do that for interactive. And so I think we as a company will always have a higher churn rate on the customer count over the next five years than an established vertical, right? Like, you know, a lot of the you know, CRM, marketing automation, analytics, those guys, their churn rates should be much lower because they're known quantities. If you're going to bring in a Domo or you're going to bring in, you know, Sitecore, you're going to keep it for a long time, right? What is, um, what's your annual churn right now or annual retention? Um, we're pretty much about 100% MRR retention, right? What about Logo? Uh, logo, um, Logo's less. I don't know my exact Logo churn, to be honest, because well, part of the reason is, and this is one of the things we do at the end of every quarter and end of every year, we look back at all the churn and we look at why did you churn? And so part of when we think about our ideal customer profile, we've found customers under 50 million, very high churn rates, right? Um, in terms of, in terms of their size. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Right. So we look at we think about churn in terms of the customer, um, you know, and and people, they may not be ready to try something new at the scale that we want them to try it at. They should maybe use a point solution. Go use SurveyMonkey. Do 20 surveys. It's dirt cheap. And then when you're ready, you come and buy us something like that. Would you say it's like definitely less than 24, like 20 percent or 10 percent? I mean, pretty average. What? Our churn rate? Yeah, your annual churn, logo churn. Yeah, it's probably about average. It's about average. Yeah. Maybe a little worse. Um, we're, we, um, we have a little extra churn as we've moved and focused. We're 100% on B2B, though we still have a bunch of legacy large media companies and some brands. Our roadmap doesn't really support them anymore. So some of those guys fall off every year, right? Because they just, they should. They should. And, okay. Now, you mentioned earlier, and the only way net revenue retention can be like at or negative at zero is, is if your current customer base, you're upselling, and that makes up more for the logo loss. What are you upselling typically? Yeah, so we price on a classic two-axis model, right? So content for one is ours. How much content or experiences do you want to produce? And functionality on the other. And the third we have is we typically sell by division. Um, so some of our largest customers, whether we're talking about a um, uh, Citrix, Cisco, um, I can't name them, but they're a super large company that recently moved to Boston, um, IBM, uh, VMware, Juniper, some of these folks, they have multiple divisions, they have multiple teams, um, and oftentimes they have multiple instances of a Marketo or an Eloqua, which is pretty important because we generate so much data and insight. Uh, if you don't have a place to put that and make it actionable, it's sort of like taking unstructured data. If we were able to, I, you're asking me all these questions, if it automatically went into your system and said, well, this podcast is now characterized for companies under X million with y, more than X, Y customers and whatever, like that'd be pretty cool. So that's kind of what we do with content. Into By the way, you guys can get that exact product at getlatka.com. It takes all the data from my podcast and puts in a spreadsheet. <laughs> There Seth, you go. Seth, you're hired. <laughs> yeah. But wait, there's more. There's if more. Like, all right. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's sort of how that's sort of how we we think about it, and um, and we think about churn. So we price by divisions too, because they have separate teams and separate instances. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in HubSpot offices when I was selling my my first company because they were you know potential suitor didn't work out, but we sold to somebody else. But I remember Brian walking me through and going, "You need to think about as create as many pricing axes as possible." Most people only do like a bunch of feature sets, right? But you can think about number of seats, you can think about other utilitarian values like number of contacts, number of leads captured, other. And the more things like that you have to drive the incentive to upgrade, the more or the stronger or the more net negative your turns, your revenue turn is going to be. Yeah. And I actually think about it. I think about it exactly that way. And I would say two things. One is the more the more levers you have is both a pro and a con simultaneously. So if you think about it, the more levers you have, the more you um, have a seat at the table, you have a chip that you can cash in. Right. Maybe you. Maybe you can't uh, charge more for seats or you can't charge more for CRM, but it's in the agreement. And now you say, well, I'm going to waive these two things for you if you do this for us, right? So sometimes it's a retention tool. That's smart. The flip, the flip side of it, though, is the more complicated you make it, the harder you make it to sell. And so we, you know, like any SaaS company, we try and walk that line, which is how do we leave ourselves enough variability that we can get the right amount of money from big customers who get a lot of value and should pay us fairly Without, you know, I've had a top 10, Fortune 10 customer say, I, this is too complicated. We're not going to buy this way. Let me tell you how we're going to buy. I don't give a shit what you do. Go back and reprice everything you do against this model. Okay, you're a Fortune 10 company. That's fine. We'll, we'll do we'll it. Do that. We'll do that. But like, so 
if it's too complicated, the sales team will stumble and they'll leave dollars on the table as well. What's your team size at now? Uh, we're about 70 as a company. All uh, in Boston? Uh, yeah, all in Boston. 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 And, just and, starting to look at a couple of remote folks. Oh, great. What year did you launch the company in just so we can get a starting point? 2011. 2011. Okay, good. And then uh, bootstrapped or have you raised capital? Uh, we started bootstrapped. I put in a bunch of my own money, did some angel money, and then we've raised money out of Providence Equity Partners uh, down the road from us. How so much they put total? About, uh, they put in about 22. Okay, so total, to- total in? 20, I don't know, five, six, something. Okay. Does that include money you put in? Yeah. How much, so other people that are maybe leaving a big corporate gig where they've made a bunch of money or they're exiting their own company and they're launching their new company going, how much of my wealth do I now put into this before I go raise capital, right? To try and keep my share. How much, I mean, how did you go through that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. There's no good answer, right? So I, uh, uh, I have a lot of scar tissue. So you, you've got to take it all through my scar tissue, right? But <clears throat> I, uh, increasingly, I think you should do one of two things. You should either figure out how much money you can raise and you should raise every dollar plus one, right? You know, this is, uh, again, David over at Drift. Uh, this is other folks. Which is they just announced a $32 million, I think, uh, round today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're going to go big, go big, right? Like once, you know, you're, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound of VCs a little bit, right? <clears throat> the other model is say, we're never going to raise any money, right? We're going to bootstrap the whole thing. Maybe we have a little bit of angel money, right? Because Sometimes people have no access to capital if you're young and you're, you're starting out. But we're going to bootstrap the whole thing. We're going to grow slower. We're going to be constrained. We're going to have to make hard choices. It's going to be more painful. And at the end of the day, we may end up with a smaller company, and it may even be worth less. But we may end up with more money as individuals, right? We may end up with a better outcome. We have more flexibility to sell it, whatever. So um, I think uh, it's interesting. When I started my first company in the late 90s, we had a line item for Oracle's database. we had a line item for servers in racks co-location right like you had to colo physical servers and you had to lease them from hp and you had to do the and it was like like no you don't have to do that anymore so the cost of starting is is awesome it's dramatically lower it also means the noise ratio so much higher you hang up the phone and 30 days later you have a product right Okay, Top Tribe, many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly, and why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use HostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24-7 support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, but you got to do it now. Again, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. So we're getting close on time here. Let me fire a few just questions at you. Uh, and, and let me let me just hear your thoughts on them. So uh, lifetime value, how long do you assume these customers are staying with you? Uh, so we've never, so we view it this way. We've never lost a customer. We just haven't won them yet. And so even a customer who churns, we actually have a, a high rate where customers come back and sometimes they even churn again, right? Um, and that's part of being earlier than we even thought. Um, on average, I'd say our lifetime, our lifetime customers are with us three to five years. I mean, we're, we're still early, so it's hard to tell, right? 
Yep. Yep. But I mean, look, if you take the 30 at a minimum, right, 36 months or thir- sorry, uh, three years times, you know, your 30,000 b- b- buck ACV, you know, they're worth about 100 grand. You at a minimum. Right. The reason I ask that is let's go back into CAC. So what do you spend to acquire a customer on average, fully weighted, including sales team? Uh, I don't have that number, actually. OK. Is it something you is it something you guys track or no? It's not important to you guys. So here's my problem with CAC. Um, I actually don't. The problem with CAC is it's a customer acquisition number and it doesn't account for the difference between closing up. <clears throat> Uh, Amazon or closing HubSpot, right? You know, so if HubSpot buys a $20,000 license from us and Amazon, and they're not a customer, Amazon is a customer actually, and Amazon buys a $20 million, our CAC is still the same, right? So I actually, uh, the way I think about it a little bit uh, differently is, yeah, we look at CAC, though I don't know what it is off the top of my head because I haven't looked in a couple months. I like to look at dollars in versus dollars out, right? So how many dollars of contract value did we sign versus how many dollars did we have to pay to sign that contract? So you track, value, right? you, you're able to track that at an account by account level? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, got it. So, well, so we'll, like, we'll, we'll look at it for the month. We'll look at an aggregate. So if this month we signed $500,000 of bookings, whatever it is, right? And our total sales and marketing expenditure, including bodies, including programs, including technology, was $311,000 or $300,000 then we are net positive $200,000. It works. Right? Yep. Makes good sense. <laughs> last last two questions here before we wrap up with the famous five. First year revenue. Do you remember what it was? 2011? Uh, $111,000. <laughs> All right. And then fast forward uh, to uh, call. Let's do 2015. Uh, two years ago. 2015. Uh, we were probably low single digits. So th- call like three, that. four. Sure. Something like that. Got it. Probably, and then, probably closer to three. Got it, got it. And then uh, twenty, you guys are. You said you're approaching nine now, right? Yeah, we're we're getting to ten. We've got a little bit of work to do, but uh, I keep hearing the gong ring over in the sales bullpen. So that's a good. That's a good thing. And now you're not uh, you're not putting any like touch on these things like professional services, right? Your margins are still in the 90 percent range. Ninety five. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we we decided long ago um, we don't want to be in the services business, so we actually have a whole agency model where again, like we talked about, agencies can build on our platform. So when we identify customers that need too much TLC, we say, hey, you got to buy through the agency. Ah, makes like, perfect, makes perfect and sense. you're one of five agencies that are awesome and certified on Snap App. Let's make introductions. Makes perfect sense, Seth. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. One word answers here. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, my favorite business book is Boys in the Boat. Boys in the Boat. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, so I follow a bunch. Um, I like Jeff Bezos for the pure audacity of his dream. Um, I like Benny off a lot over at Salesforce. Uh, for me, his willingness to put business and social together and say, Hey, these are important things and we're going to put the company behind it really matters. And then I follow a lot of local people, right? Cause frankly, Jeff Bezos and I are not in the same boat right now, right? We're doing different things. So I like to see what are other people at hundred, 200 person companies doing because that's the next wave we're going to hit. If Benioff right? offers you 80 million bucks to sell uh, the company, do you sell? Uh, we'll take it to the board. We'll see. We'll take it to the board. Good answer. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Um, I like Spotify. Does that count? Uh, the one that you use to grow the business. Oh, I see. One that I use to grow the business. Um, good question. Uh, I mean, we're Salesforce addicts, but that's kind of cheap. So I'm not going to use that one. Um, I'm going to put a plug in for our boys over at Drift. We've been implementing live chat lately and seen some really nice results quickly. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Some. Some. Uh, so I'm actually pretty good on sleep. I have four kids at home. 
but uh, I usually get seven plus. Okay, so so married and four kids, right? Yeah. And and how old are you, Seth? I'm 43. Last question. Take us back. But I look like a 41 year old. You, do you? you we're going. We're going out and partying after this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last question. Take us back 23 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Um, I'd say two things. One is um, humility, more humility. Insecurity um, is just destructive, right? Fear and insecurity is destructive, and so. You got to let that stuff go. We all work on it every day, all the time, but um, you can't be insecure about who you are and what you're doing, right? Hard for young people, I think. Maybe not in my generation as a Gen Xer, it was harder. Maybe maybe it's not so hard anymore for <laughs> for millennials. Who knows? Know. Um, and I guess the last thing I'd say is, and this is something that I think is really more important, is you can only measure yourself against your own goals and your own value, right? There's always somebody richer. There's always somebody more successful. There's always somebody faster. I love to run. There's always somebody faster than I am. There's always somebody slower. What are my goals? What matters to me? What moves the needle? And I got to benchmark myself against those goals because that's what matters to me. There you guys have it. Founded in 2011 from Seth. Again, be more humble. Benchmark against yourself. Founded Snapchat back in 2011. He's been through the wheel before. They've since raised about 25 million bucks. He put in a bunch of his own money at the start to help people create engaging content, uh, kind of interactions online uh, in the form of these applications that live inside of CMSs, on side of websites, etc. He's got over 300 customers. They pay on average 30 grand per month. They are quickly approaching that beautiful $9 million ARR mark with their team of 70 people based mainly up there in Boston. Seth, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. Talk to you, Nathan.